Hi guys, we've got a seriously special guest on the podcast today. It is Sarah Pascoe and you're about to hear that she is brilliant and funny and fascinating and has a book out, which is also all of those three things. It's called Animal, or if you want the full unedited title, it's called Animal, colon, the autobiography of a female body. And it's out right now. Go and get it. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Andy Murray, Anna Chizinski, James Harkin and Sarah Pascoe. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Sarah Pascoe. Okay. In the 1920s, scientists concluded that menstruating women wilted flowers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. a proper scientist, and so his name, and, I, and it's a he, but his name's Bella Schick, I think. I've only seen it written down. And um, he's a proper scientist. He cured diphtheria, and I think apparently he was the first person to use the word immunization. So, he's a proper Ooh, guy. Yeah. But then, one day, his maid was passing him some flowers. So, she was <laughs> like, I don't want to pass you the flowers. And then he's like, do the flowers. And then, um, the next day, they were all wilted, these red roses. And she was like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I'm on my period. And he was like, what? And she's like, yeah, women are poisonous when they're on their periods. They can't look at bread or dogs or <laughs> children or touch flowers or go swimming. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm a scientist. I didn't even know about this so <laughs> he then did all these experiments with women holding flowers and baking bread and he gave it the term menotoxin which were emitted by women in their uh, tear glands and their sweat glands <laughs> so his study f- showed reading between the lines and hang on I'm no conspiracy theorist but reading between the lines it sounded like the women held the flowers for quite a long time outside of water <laughs> and then they wilted whereas flowers in water the control group <laughs> they were fine <laughs> there was an experiment with bread as well and one maid who was on her period I mean it must have been such a lovely house to work in um, so she, she, he made everyone make bread and hers, hers didn't rise as much she as was holding others. it in her hand and the other people <laughs> yeah, put it in the, in the oven, oven yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hers didn't rise as much for that exact reason and then it was like it's true it, we ruined bread and so it was tra- kind of supporting all of the really really old taboos um, and tab- taboo means menstruation that's where the word comes from no yeah, it? yes really? it means sacred or menstru- it's a word for menstruation Oh my God. Yeah, amazing, right? Because it is, it's one of those things where uh, throughout history, the idea of menstruating women around yes. certain things did affect things. Pliny the Elder oh, wrote he, about he, it. He wrote so many crazy things. Like, yeah. um, like dogs would go mad, all the caterpillars would fall out of the leaves of trees, and my favourite <laughs> is they'd that... because they'd all wilted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also, uh, my favourite is that even ants wouldn't pick up the grains if, they, if, you'd, if, if a menstruating woman had touched the crumbs. Oh, like, wow. Ants would be like, no thank you, disgusting. <laughs> I must be passing that by. Oh yeah, and they'd cause thunderstorms, yeah. all that kind of stuff. My favourite one yeah. is that they would dim mirrors. Ooh. Yeah! Wow, Ooh. this mirror is so dark. <laughs> There's one positive belief that oh, yeah. I've found, at least traditionally. One. Yeah, well, <laughs> it can make Just children. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a German occult writer called Henry Cornelius Agrippa, mm-hmm. and he said that menstruating women could protect crops from blight. He said, "If menstruous women shall walk naked about the standing corn, uh, they make all cankers, worms, beetles, flies, and all hurtful things fall off from the corn." Yeah. 
Uh, but if they don't do it before sunrise, then the corn withers. <laughs> That sounds yeah. like the weirdest shut-up line in the world. Like, hey, would you mind coming around and taking all your clothes off? <laughs> You've got to be gone by morning. <laughs> but the other one that's really interesting is the synchronicity thing. So lots of people have this real common belief that women's uh, synchronised periods mm. has never been scientifically proven. Yeah. Like one woman did a study, actually I've got her name written down, it's like McClin- McClin- McClintock? <laughs> the McClintock studies. Right. And she did a, a huge study on seven women. <laughs> which is always heartening. And um, she found that at the beginning of the summer they had periods that were entirely separate and by the end of the summer they were much nearer and this has kind of mutated into people believing that pheromones mean that when women are living in the same house in close quarters they suddenly sync up it's never been replicated they can't find any scientific reason why we would and um, it's confirmation bias so with a friend you notice the person who's like oh suddenly uh, we're on at the same time or we have an overlap which has nothing to do with when you ovulate which would be the significant part of the reason to sync up with yeah. somebody right. and, um, and you ignore all the people you're around all the time and you never sync up with them at all yeah also, maybe they're lying because I reckon I used to claim that my housemates that I had my period at the same time, so it was not to be left out. But maybe yeah. everyone else <laughs> is doing really? that. Yeah, I was like, we're all synced up, and you don't want to be the loser who's not oh, quite in tune with your mate. Hiding your period. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I never tell him. Never being moody in case they're like Anna. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming on again. <laughs> Thought we were together on this one. There was McClintock. It's sort of she defended her work because there have been oh, yes. lots of follow-up studies, which, yes. as you say, have yeah. never found it, and they've done studies for a full year yes. and said there could be in the original study yes. bits which synced up a little yes. bit but that was just through coincidence but also really. I think it's much more to do with the moon than it is to do with other women so the, the, the one uh, thing that's quite interesting is that um Thirty percent of women have their periods during the, the full moon, mm-hmm. and the ne- the next nearest group of women being the same is twelve point five percent. So that's quite a huge verifiable difference. Mm-hmm. And when women live in cities with electricity, it they have their period changes. The how long their menstrual cycle has changed from what? when they live outside. I know, I know, it's that's like magic. Nuts. It's to do with melatonin in the brain. So um, women, when that starts to get affected, even by when you start sleeping less or being an electric lighting all the time your yeah. cycle changes because people do sleep less when there's a full moon don't they Bec- and they think yes, that's because of the light less, or yeah. yeah so do people uh, right up near the north pole in iceland and stuff have mental periods do you think when they oh, have sort of 24 hour day and then 24 hour night yeah i would love really? to know yeah well if anyone's listening Guys, out there yeah. contact us contact us with yeah. all of the details of your <laughs> menstrual cycle <laughs> at schreiberland twitter <laughs> Um, so they have had, they do have positive connotations in some places. There are um, various societies where women on their periods are thought to have magical powers. Mm. Oh, so yeah. I think in some Native American tribes, they would, they would retreat to a moon hut for the duration of their period, and that meant that they didn't have to do any work and that they could just like have spiritual mm. awakenings and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But then, I, again, I think you can read that from the other way because you can go like choose to go to a hut, right? Thinking like <laughs> sent away <laughs> to a hut. Like yeah. no, don't, don't worry, put your feet up. We'll handle this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it completely. See, for me, I think what a f- absolute treat. I'd love to do nothing for five days in a hut. But for most but women, I guess that seems like you're being. You like camping as well, so this is <laughs> love a bit of camping. Yeah, especially because in these huts, people bring you your food and stuff. Yeah. And there's nothing I love more than camping where someone else is doing the food. So it's like glamping, basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> menstrual glamping. <laughs> Struggling with menstrual glamps. <laughs> Um, so in terms of other experiments, there was a, a, a married couple called George and Olive Smith, and they injected rats and mice with uh, women's menstrual blood, and they all died. And they were like, see, toxic, poisonous. If you inject oh my God. <laughs> vaginal blood into a mouse, it totally dies. And then, what did uh, they expect it to do? Uh, well, they just wanted to see. And, some of the, and then um, what they did 
is um, they, then some other people did some follow-up studies where they also gave the mice antibiotics because they thought it might be the bacteria from used blood <laughs> that they were put injecting into the animals that was killing them and then all of those animals survived but they do describe like oh but the mice were really affected they kept cowering in the corner of the cages like I wonder why <laughs> um, so there's a really fun thing that people can watch on the internet if they want to it's a 1946 Walt Disney film called The Story of Menstruation and it is better than Fantasia <laughs> really? yeah it's, it's the first film they think that mentions the word vagina the science of it is fantastic in terms of the uh, the glands and the hormones behind so it's not a lot of stuff that's educational for children or young women is about the physical stuff the stuff that you can see and it's much more about the relationship of hormones in your body and what it's caused by and what's happening it's quite oh, beautiful it's wow. 10 minutes long yeah wow. and it's banned i think is mickey in it or yeah yeah it's P- mickey's first period <laughs> yeah. very confusing he gets injected halfway through i think by minnie's vaginal blood yeah, yeah. yeah. and he dies yeah. that's very yeah. sad Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that one proposed solution to plane hijackings in the 1970s was to build a pretend Havana airport in South Florida. Hmm. So the thing is that in the um, late 60s and early 70s, hijacking was a huge, huge problem. And it was, this was very much in the sort of, you know, before 9-11 days, when the main thing that happened was someone would say, take this plane to a different place. Yep. And the big thing was, take me to Cuba. Because yeah. obviously Cuba very nearby, communist state, and um, lots of people just would hijack planes and fly, didn't fly them to Cuba. And between 1968 and 1972, they sometimes happened once a week. Yeah. In the in the USA alone, in 1969, 82 planes were hijacked. This is a huge, yeah. huge thing, and they didn't have any security at airports and things like that. And people kept hijacking, yeah. so people started contacting the American uh, FAA with suggestions. And one of them was setting up this fake Havana airport in South Florida. So everyone just, you know, so they, the pilot says, oh, "Okay, going to fly you to Cuba." They fly around the sea for a bit and then fly back. I think that's how they do it. Just I subtly see. change direction. They land, then the CIA busts the hijacker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had a special anti-hijack task force, didn't they? Which people could send in their ideas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, but people started taking yeah. the piss as well. One person said, "Make everyone wear boxing gloves so they can't hold a gun." <laughs> <laughs> but then they would just punch <laughs> their way yeah. again. Yeah, there was one where someone said, uh, "Play the Cuban national anthem before takeoff and arrest anyone who knows the lyrics." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. People are just so patriotic they can't help yeah. but stand up and <laughs> chant along. So first of all, the, f- the hijacking was going the other way, wasn't it? It was people trying to escape Cuba because you weren't allowed to travel okay. between two places. Right. And my favourite one is the story about Alan Funt. So it's uh, 1969. He was the presenter of Candid Camera. So he was very, very famous across the world. And then he was on an aeroplane which um, had men hijacking to go to Havana. And he'd been recognised by a couple of people. So a man stood up and went, no, no, this is a trick. <laughs> and Alan Funt, the presenter, knows it is not a trick. <laughs> so everyone, everyone, calm down. Let's just listen to the guys. And everyone's like, you're not going to get us. This is so like you. And they're like laughing. And so there's different cases. His daughter's talked about it openly. She remembers people like dancing once they realised it was a trick. And air hostesses <laughs> popping champagne and going, we're going to be on TV. <laughs> and it looks like he's trying to like save the programme. Yeah, like, let's yeah. just take this seriously. Like, yeah, right. There was that other guy who... Um, so 
at first people I think wanted to hijack planes and go to Cuba and then people started to catch on that you could also ask for shed loads of money yeah. while you were doing yeah. that and there was that guy Arthur Barclay who was debating his tax bill and I think he started debating it in like <laughs> 1962 and this went on for eight years and he kept going to and from Washington and it was quite a small tax bill it was like $472 he owed and he said he didn't owe it's the principal yeah it is actually the I can imagine right, money about that's that. still quite a lot of cash <laughs> I can imagine James actually doing this <laughs> so eventually he yeah. just hijacked this plane um, and he smuggled a gun on and he demanded that they do an emergency landing and when they landed they had to have a hundred million dollars waiting for him so the CIA would have had to be there million okay, dollars. how many tax bills is he expecting <laughs> <laughs> if you get that kind of money is that tax free <laughs> yeah. how does it work is it like think, a gift does I it count as a gift there are places in the world where people have declared their guns as expenses when they've done bank robberies and things like this. There oh, wow. was a famous wow. case of a businessman, I think, claiming a ransom oh, yeah. against tax. I'm pretty sure. That's I've right. never seen that on my tax return. Um, but can anyway, I, this guy... Can I, I, can I gift aid the ransom, please? <laughs> it's worth a bit more, actually, and then you get something more back. Um, this guy, I just really love the idea of, um, he said I need $100 million cash waiting mm. for me when we do this emergency landing. So they landed the plane, and the plane had radioed down to the ground to the airport staff at the airport saying, you need to get us as much cash as you can, just go into all the banks in the area. And so I also, first of all, like the idea of all these airport staff running into all the banks and saying, <laughs> yeah. how much cash have you got? Yeah. Give it all to us now, please. <laughs> and they managed to get 100 grand, so 100,000, yeah. which they brought to the airport waiting for him, and they brought it onto the plane when it landed, and he opened up the sacks and was like, this is a hundred million it's bloody do you think I'm an idiot and he took the plane off again and um, so he's, he was like that's, that's not yeah. nearly enough I asked for a hundred million so then they got the government to really properly get enough bags mm. so they at least mm. look realistic so they sent a bunch of CIA agents to oh. stand down the runway and they stuffed sacks with newspaper what I would have done I would have filled the bags with CIA agents yes. and as soon as he opened one they yeah. burst, yeah. burst you out you covered CIA agents with money <laughs> <laughs> and the minute he tried to spend them you, you got it <laughs> yeah. um, hijackers weren't all bad like, I think oh, sometimes yeah. they were just like disturbed teenagers weren't they and there was that guy who hijacked a plane and wanted it to be taken to Cuba and then he got distracted by another man on the plane stood up and said hey do you want to see my coin collection mate and he sort of dropped the gun and was like oh yeah I collect coins actually and so that seems like someone who's not terrifying uh, the first hijacker in Norwegian history um, he um, hijacked a plane in 1985 because he was fed up with society. But then he surrendered his pistol to authorities one hour later in exchange for more beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he'd already had some beer. Yes. <laughs> After they started adding signs at airports uh, about security, so in the early 1970s, when they'd started sort of uh, screening passengers to see who looked like they might be carrying weapons, all janitors at airports in America reported that they'd find just guns and knives and stuff strewn in the flower beds outside the airport. Because oh. it, as, when it first came in, people would come to airports planning to hijack a plane and then see a sign that said, by the way, we've got screening going on to see if you're going to hijack planes. <laughs> They'd be like, great. sod this. Wow. Oh, right. So it's not like, you know, if you go into a pub, but you've got a can of lager or something in your hand, you're like, oh, I'm just going to have to leave this out here because I can't take it in. It's not like they were just yeah. carrying guns around and thought, oh, I might as oh well no, it's leave. not. I yeah. think it was, pe in theory, it was people who were intending to hijack planes. Do you, do you often get to the pub with a can of lager already in your hand? <laughs> just topping up on the way in. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> That's called preloading, isn't it? Yeah, I've heard of that. Do you know that near London, in Gravesend, there is a whole town where they do practice, a fake town where they do practice police things, 
Um, so like for hijackings or bombings oh, or wow. fires or riots. Wow. Yeah. And there's pictures of that online. There's a whole Flickr account. It's really odd. But all the public transport and nightclubs and there's a pizza land and everything. <laughs> that must wow. be the most terrifying place to accidentally wander into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, this I, is a crime hub. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw photos of that mm. the other day. Um, there was photos of a train crash. What would happen if a tube train yes. crashed? Yeah. And they had people dressed yeah. up in makeup and they had emergency services come in. Yeah. yeah. The spooky thing in the 50s in nevada they did a whole city to test atomic bombs on and they put people they dress people up in mannequins they got all these jc penny mannequins so it looks like families having a nice time yeah. and then there's photographs in real time of what happened to their houses as so i think it was like something like 43 kilotons was the most they let off when you think hiroshima was 12 kilotons Whoa. and people watch from six miles away and there's all these photographs are seeing just literally fire mm. going through a house yeah. wow and you can still visit it that's yeah. Richard Feynman, I think, watched those. And he really? was the only person of all the people watching it not to wear the special glasses that were given to everyone. Ooh, why did rebel. Why did because yeah. he knew that they were doing nothing. Because <laughs> 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 I'm a tough guy. <laughs> it's because he was in a car and he knew that the radiation wouldn't get through the glass. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he had advanced yeah. knowledge. You've really got to trust your science, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> to take really... a call like that. Like, I know exactly how this is going to work. <laughs> Okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is Chazinski. My fact is that this year, an organisation will finish a 40-year-long study of Britain's postboxes, at which point it will immediately start again. What are they studying? They're studying everything (laughs) about all the postboxes in Britain, and they've been going since 1976 when they started. They're called the Letterbox Study Group, and uh, they decided they had to document every single postbox, like what what the royal insignia was on it, what what Ah. kind of postbox it was. Is it in a wall, built into a wall? Mm. Is it on a lamppost? There's a lot of important things to be told about. Well, important is a very strong (laughs) word. (laughs) I was really sneering of this idea, like, oh my god, and then I found out a bit more, and now I'm going to join because (laughs) I think it's so amazing what they're doing. Do you want to join them? Also, really I think join. it's only boys in it so far. Actually, you're right. I didn't read a single interview with a woman. No, really? they're all like, I watched some videos oh. of them online. This guy, Paul, whom I'm now in love with. And he was, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, my wife's so understanding. He's like, well, she should be getting out there. This is interesting. I didn't know that the monarch who was reigning when the postbox was made has their initials on it, apart from in Scotland. where um, So in Scotland, well, they, don't, they, they had to take off. There yes. were protests in Scotland when yeah. they first introduced the E11R. Yeah. Because obviously she's the first Queen Elizabeth, not the second of Scotland. Yeah. Um, and so they don't have it on them anymore oh, they amazing. just have a little they have a little symbol just it's a, a postbox crown or yeah. something yeah. something royal but not yes. saying she's yeah. the second yeah I really like um, and maybe this was a massive mm. story but I missed it that there are now a hundred golden postboxes <gasps> yes. that's so yeah. cool did you not see one like, in Edinburgh when the Olympics was on they did they spray painted one when are they going to paint them back I wonder yeah. I don't think they will yeah no. I think they ought to eventually do you I feel Why very strong that? I feel very strongly about that you should tweet them because it's introducing a, a rogue element of individuality into the postbox design and yes. I feel very strongly but well, they should a, all be red well there was a period when they were all getting painted red because they were green in Victorian times and, and yeah. was that because people had won things or I think it was just to make them stand out more because if they're it? green in yeah, rural environments they can be very ca- yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> for years no one could post anything well people yes. were so posting just letters but just into trees and bushes yeah. and things and it <laughs> made the collection for the tree because it's made from paper <laughs> it's like a corpse of a relative like, it's so mean there was in 2012 in Birmingham New Street Station they found a post box that had been covered up for like 50 years or something and they kind of opened it and there was a load of letters in there that had just been sat there for years and years and years yeah 
And did they read them all? Or they, <laughs> they gave them to the Royal Mail and the Royal Mail took them to the people who they should have oh, gone to. Oh, that's nice. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Do we still have a dead letter office in this country? What's that oh, mean? I don't know. It's where post yeah. that yeah. they don't know how to deliver it. The, yeah. the instructions on the outside, yes. the address is too yeah. vague. Oh, okay. And it goes. Th- and the, these guys are amazing. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they crack the codes on the outside yeah. and they you try and get really the envelopes there. And they will get it to Father Christmas or Princess Diana, as yeah. I found out as a child. Really? Yeah. What were you writing to them? Oh, like the pretty lady in the big house. Oh, what was I writing? Just <laughs> yeah. good, good wishes. <laughs> just, a big, just a big fan. I used to write loads of letters to the royal family. Right. <laughs> and to Santa? Not asking for presents. No, just, no, just wishing you know. him well. Also, luck, I thought he had needed stuff to do in the downtime. Everyone writes in December, like when they want something. I'm just going to write in May. Oh. So oh. I'll see what he's up to. You're just trying to get on that nice list, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Charles Dickens had his own postbox in his house. <laughs> Yeah. We all do. So in order to send <laughs> <laughs> You've got a letterbox. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the postman would come and collect the post from his from house. From his house, yeah. It was built into the yeah. wall on the outside yeah. of his house. So it was in the area where he lived, which yeah. was Gads Hill, I think. So he lobbied the post office, said, install it mm. in my house, please, because yes. everyone from around the village would come to his house to post their letters. Oh. And the postie would arrive, open the thing in his house and pick up so all the letters. it wasn't a private one, it was a communal one for everyone. Exactly. Also, back then when he was alive, there would have been up to 18 collections a day. Whoa! Royal Mail, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. People were sending yeah. so many letters. That, yeah, that's yeah. insane. So you could correspond with someone a few times in a, a day, few times yes. in a single day. Like, Your really? letter would just get to them. Yeah, and, oh, I mean, my email does hundreds of thousands of collections a day, so it's not yes. actually as yeah. extraordinary. To I me. found out about one now. So that in Japan, there's an underwater post box for scuba divers who then send letters to other p- scuba divers, and they're waterproof letters that you put underneath, and that's collected twice a day. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Do you have to have your own underwater letterbox? I don't know how you'd have it as your address. I guess you just had to say, like, that starfish. <laughs> that starfish near the rock. And then it would get to where you were going nice. to collect it from. That's amazing. Yeah, there are very remote... Yeah, so um, the uh, Everest Base Camp has a post box. Um, okay. Where else? There's the Antarctic one. Mm. I'm not sure if we've spoken about that before. Really remote. Oh, and polar they, bears. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they did a application for it, and they published it in the newspaper mm. so we could see the application. And they explained that the job would involve carrying big, heavy box over slippery rocks and slushy snow, and you'd have to survive on no heating or... Or running water. <laughs> That's what it says. Are you happy not to shower for up to a month? Live in close proximity to three people and two thousand smelly penguins for five months? Yes. Mm, yeah. this sounds better than the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was looking at some weird societies. Yeah. Um, cool. Or ab- apparently boring yeah. societies. Mm. Do you guys know how popular, according to its website, the Biscuit Appreciation Society is? I mean, according it's to, very popular. According to its website. It's a very reliable website. I believe everything they say. Um, they <laughs> So there's a message on their website saying that, I'm really sorry we can't take any extra members as we have a backlog of memberships and there's a 17-year waiting list <gasps> to get into the Biscuit Appreciation Society. <laughs> it claims our membership currently stands at about 3 million appreciators. We, sure. oh, we never okay. expected more than a couple. Does it mean every time someone has a biscuit, they go, I'll add them to the list. They obviously appreciate biscuits. <laughs> this sounds like the Raelians. There's a, uh, there's a movement of UFO mm. alien believing mm. um, people on Earth. And the Raelians do that, don't they? Um, well, what the Raelians do is you can become a priest but uh, by kind of just going there and they make you a priest. Yeah. But they'll also make you a priest without you even knowing it. So they kind of make celebrities priests just oh, without even wow. telling them. And they say, look at all these famous people who are priests. <laughs> and then the famous people are like, well, I didn't even know hey, that was Hey, I'm happening. inspired to set up a fan club <laughs> for myself. <laughs> I just feel like, Robbie Williams, big fan of mine. <laughs> it's uh, 6.7 billion members. <laughs> 
No waiting list. Everyone who's born is automatically entered. <laughs> Oh, it'd be so disheartening, though, for the letters you get from Robbie Williams yeah. saying, please remove me from your fan club list. It doesn't work like that, my friend. Now you're a double member. <laughs> <laughs> the minute you try to leave, you love me more. <laughs> In the olden days, London, there used to be really odd kind of gentlemen's clubs where they had very specific things they had to do. So there was a murderer's club where you were only allowed in if you'd ever killed a man. And there was the everlasting silence club where always someone had to be there, but you were not allowed to ever speak. And it was for men who had to escape their noisy wives. <laughs> and there was a farter's club all these kind of really odd things was the murderers club just a front set up by the police <laughs> they just gotcha. sort of all the club all yes. the club staff were yeah. hanging around saying so who'd you kill <laughs> i imagine that the murderers club would be people who used to be members of the silence club after oh, the farters yes. club walked in there. <laughs> <laughs> in japan there are drain spotters which Ooh. I also want to be a member of yeah. the Drain Spotters Club, uh, which are people who spot drain covers because manhole covers yeah. in Japan are often really, really beautiful. Mm. Oh. And they've got, yeah, these amazing designs. Do you think they came up with a name first? Because it's like a pun on train spotters. Yeah. And then if you haven't read the Irvine Welsh book, Train Spotting, <laughs> uh, it's incredibly boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I tell you about one more? Yeah, d- we should this, move on. This is, from the, yes. this is from the Dull Men's Club, oh, who are okay. they're a fantastic organisation. And I'm quoting exactly here. Bottle banker Steve... I don't know if that's rhyming slang. <laughs> It's not. Bottle banker Steve Wheeler, 66, from Malvern, has spent 30 years collecting more than 20,000 milk bottles. He found his first bottle in the mid-1980s. And now, Steve, who admits he doesn't even like milk, <laughs> houses them in an 80-foot museum in his garden. Wow. Yep. Do, so when he collects them, do they have milk in them? Don't know. Right. I mean, yeah. if, if they do, I'm yeah. sure he gets rid of it pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, that's yeah. why he hates milk so much. Milk is disgusting. <laughs> have you seen what happens to it? How do people drink it every day? It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our final fact, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in the Middle Ages, people slept with cow dung at the foot of the bed to keep bugs away. Did it work? I think it did to a certain extent. Really? Yeah. Because okay. uh, bugs would be attracted to the dung. Right, it would attract them maybe just to the end of the bed. Also, it wasn't fresh dung. No. Was it? So it was dried dung, and sometimes oh. you set fire to it. It was actually the smoke from the dung. Oh, so it's like incense. And so people still do that now, oh. apparently. Do they? Yeah. yeah wow. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes That's people burn their houses down in order yes. to keep yeah. bugs away. So actually, there's loads of cases with bed bugs where people have yes. alcohol and different kind of flammable things on their sofas and beds, and then, yeah, setting fire to the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. I think there was a woman in Detroit recently, yeah. maybe the last yeah. couple of months, yeah. who, yeah, covered her apartment in alcohol and then turned up the heating super high because yeah. she heard that was hard to get rid of sometimes them. Sometimes they do, like, they go, like, oh, I put alcohol everything that's great that should do it and then i'll have a nice fag to relax <laughs> wow bed bugs are really hard to get rid of aren't they mm, yeah. i've heard that they're getting thicker skin now to get rid of the insecticide and the horrible things people are saying about them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah um, like, insects could evolve so much more quickly because mm. there's so many generations so yeah, yeah great. the concentration of insecticide that you need to kill a bed bug now is about a thousand times more than it was like say a hundred years Whoa. ago really yeah, and apparently it always takes three times. You can't just get rid of them in one swoop. It takes three goes round. Mm. So what is wrong with having bed bugs? I just, um, as, I mean, I've never not, understood this. So, so I've, I don't think I've had them. Yeah. But if I did, what would be? I think yeah, they cover mind. you in painful, horrible, red, livid bites. Do they? Do they, they do. do. Okay. Because bedding apparently used to be worth like a third of people's possessions, wow. and that's why. So when they travelled, they would take their bed sheets and their covering with them, so they didn't wouldn't use them in inns and stuff. Yeah. And I hadn't really even thought oh, about the wow. fact that it's so unusual now that we sleep in beds on our own. 
Yeah, absolutely. Eight, Until eight about the 19th bed, century, yeah. you'd, you'd mainly share a bed with someone mm. else, wouldn't you? Yeah, if yeah. you stopped in a tavern well, or like something. If you went to Travel Lodge, you'd just have to yeah, sleep with to. like Lenny Henry or something. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> wow. Lenny <laughs> Henry in every room. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's hostels, that that's hostels are still kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, but there's bunk beds, but, but you yeah. are in a room of strangers, yeah. which is yeah. quite rare. It's just sh- sh- like sharing a bed. That was the standard. That was the only option you'd have. In Tudor and medieval times, people who are wealthy enough to have a bed, which wasn't very many people, would always take it with them. So beds were Z beds, foldable beds um and yeah so the king would travel with his bed um any nobles would travel with their beds folded up on the back of their Mm. cart well i was reading something by lucy worsley and she was saying that beds in that period were actually incredibly rare for for the the poor yeah Yeah, so it would just be a huge hall where everyone was sleeping so did they have cow dung on the floor next to them in their kind of their floor bed i think it was hanging up rather yeah. than like really because it sounds like it, oh, it would be spread at the foot of the bed yeah, yeah. but I think it's no. the dung kind of hanging up to keep the fires oh up. my god yeah. like the um, at the front of a car for yeah like an air freshener yeah like an air freshener <laughs> a little tree <laughs> um, so cow dung is mm-hmm. great stuff yes. yeah oh my goodness um, so I did not know that you can on the Indian Amazon website you can buy cow dung cakes yeah. Oh, yeah. you can Ooh, get them uh, about food. roughly six for two pounds fifty Good no, pretty good. So what it is, you, you get a cow pack and you mix yeah. it up with hay and then you slap it on yeah. uh, a wall yeah. and it dries into a, a cake. And yeah. then you can burn that in a stove yeah. to f- to cook food or for religious ceremonies. Mm-hmm. People in cities mm-hmm. these days don't use it for no. uh, for food cooking anymore. But yeah. Um, so there's also a, an Indian center which uses cow dung medicinally. Mm-hmm. And their claims are so extravagant. Oh. <laughs> I just want to say. Okay. So uh, this is in Ahmedabad. And one claim is uh, walking on fresh cow dung is very healthy it completely heals all problems with your feet yeah. um they also have cow water which is a urine-based soft drink mm-hmm. and the director of this facility said this will end the market for carbonated fizzy drinks <laughs> <laughs> i love it's like all problems with your feet like i lost a foot <laughs> come over here this all problems. not for long yeah um and the the, the the sentence on this website just says mainstream doctors are divided about the medical benefits <laughs> with some pointing out that the curative claims have never been validated by independent yeah. bodies <laughs> yeah you can get cow urine aftershave i think because it's very good for your skin mm-hmm. so does apparently it, so does this come from thinking that cows are precious yeah yes. it's in their religion yeah yeah because yeah. cows are sacred aren't they? Yeah. and their dung is sacred as yes. well which is why it's religious rituals <laughs> that's what yeah it says here uh their milk makes children more obedient that's part of the sacredness yeah. and touching them can lower your blood pressure that's yeah. one of the thoughts oh, yeah. and they block nuclear radiation okay well I'm alright with the first two because mm. they make sense that yes if children want some more milk yeah, then they'll be more obedient yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it makes absolute sense stroking lots of pets people have comfort animals yeah. that would yeah. calm yeah. you down yeah, lowest yeah. cortisol yeah. fine and the nuclear <laughs> <laughs> well not many people know but Richard Feynman is yes, actually, uh, yeah. he just slapped a cow pat on his eyes <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I've got another thing about old bedtime habits. Mm. Great. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> medieval times. Um, yeah. So, have you heard of bundling? Yeah. yeah. Bundle! Bundle! You all jump on someone. Jump it's great. On fun. And someone gets a break oh, leg. Okay, no, no. Yeah. So, it's right through the very bottom of the bundle. You don't want to be second in the bundle. Why is it okay to be on the bottom? I don't know. For some reason, it's just snuggly, but the second curl, one on, it's yeah. uncomfortable. You can kind of curl up and defend yourself a bit more yeah. if you're at the bottom, whereas yeah. you're the second, second you're, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're spread-eagled yeah. when you're second but in the bundle. But then I yeah. think you deserve it, because you're the first one jumping in on the bundle. You're causing all the problems. You don't know. Maybe the person underneath said, bundle. You just <laughs> have to follow instructions. Can you get people to bundle you? It's yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <That's> really <laughs> pathetic if you were laid down going, bundle, and everyone's going, no, James. You're in your late 30s. You haven't done that for a long time. It's a terrible sleepover. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> and then my 
like a torgy, that's when you do a bundle, but you've all got sleeping bags on. Yeah. Um, so bundling used to be when you wanted to introduce uh, two unmarried children to each other. Of, of age, I should yes, point okay, out. Yes, okay, so young um, So people. it'd be two, two uh, boy and a girl, unmarried, mm. and the parents would let them sleep in the same room for an evening. Oh. The idea was to get to know each other. Yeah. So in order to prevent things from happening, from yeah. getting sexy, yeah. uh, they used to either tie them to the bed. Oh. <laughs> so oh. you would have to lay okay. there, tied, both of you, to the bed yeah. and just chat all evening. Or they would put a ginormous wooden board just in the middle of the yeah. bed, separating you two. Surely that's how people get fetishes. Your early sexual experiences are being tied up with a block of wood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't do it any other. How old are these young people? I guess, I guess, uh, approaching so, marriage age. So, so yeah, so they were kind of marriageable age. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was kind of yeah, hmm. roughly late teens, I think. Yeah. 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 No, the next guy I meet, and we're like, hey. Do you like being tied up? Because <laughs> I want to get to know you. That's why I just got kicked out of these bundling parties you guys are going to show up my rope and my huge blocks we'll of wood. Fly, yeah. The first draft of Fifty Shades of Grey is actually incredibly boring. A lot yeah. of conversation. I mean, also, the final draft of Fifty Shades of Grey is also incredibly boring. But that's not the point. You haven't read Fifty Shades of Grey. I've read the first third of Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, what did you think? Uh, Seventeen I, Shades of Grey. I, <laughs> I stopped after the, after the third or fourth time. She shattered into a million pieces oh yeah I thought it's, 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 I is that what happens mm. it, did you read Humpty Dumpty <laughs> <laughs> Anastasia calls all the king's horses and all the king's men yeah, yeah. yeah that's pretty raunchy stuff isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay that's it that's all of our facts thank you so much for listening if you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast we can all be found on our twitter accounts I'm on at Schreiberland Andy at Andrew Hunter M James at egg shaped Sarah as an underwater postbox in Japan <laughs> <laughs> and Jasinski you can email podcast.qi.com yep and also just a reminder go get Sarah's book it's out now it's called Animal the Autobiography of a Female Body it's in every single bookshop that you will go near so go in you have no excuse and uh, go to no such thing as a fish.com that's our website we have all of our previous episodes up there we will be back again next week with another app we'll see you then goodbye <laughs>